The internet has a lot of good resources and a lot of not-so-great resources. The endocannabinoid system is the foundation on which medical cannabis is built on. I've always said phytocannabinoids found in cannabis can actually mimic what endocannabinoids do. But we're going to find more about that right now with Dr. Jakubas Zaberkas. He's an accomplished scientist, neuroscientist, innovator, speaker, entrepreneur, and has lots of expertise in neurological disorders, cannabinoids, and the endocannabinoid system. All of these just make me want to have a beer with this guy and pick his brain. And maybe play a little harmonica, as you'll find out. With numerous awards for his knowledge in public speaking, um, you actually might have seen him on TEDx Talks, and uh, he served on as many medical advisory boards as he has had fellowships at universities. Currently, he serves as Chief Innovation Officer at Mary Med Incorporated. But enough of me talking, let's get to Yakibus. Thank you for listening. Well, thank you again, everybody, for joining us. My name's David. I got Rachel over there. We have our producer, Whiskey, the cat, probably curled up in the closet over there. <laughs> She's monitoring from a different room. But we also have Jakubas Zaberkus here today. This is a fantastic treat. Zaberkus, how are you today? Good. How are you doing? Fantastic. In light of everything that's going on, I think we're doing pretty well hunkered down well one thing i want to say absolutely yeah 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 one thing i want to say right off the bat uh yakubas what's one fascinating thing about you that not many people would know well um i don't know how people know me to start with (laughs) (laughs) um but if people know me as an academician or as a professor or if people know me as a hemp and cannabis expert, mm-hmm. or if people know me as a keynote speaker, it is probably uh, quite unlikely that many people, even people that I'm friends with, would know that I sailed across the Atlantic Ocean on a 40-foot sailing boat. Wow. With a crew of four. Okay. How long did that take? The circumstances were pretty interesting because after my first year in graduate school, I had this very unique opportunity to sail across the Atlantic on the sailboat and I took a leave of absence. And so when I left after the first year of PhD studies... There were people in my department that were placing bets whether I would return from that trip. <laughs> but a semester would return, and uh, that experience uh, forever changed my life. And I'm indebted to that, to um, wonderful lady Pamela Wall and, um, and her family. And Pamela is, um, to this day, one of the best uh, cruising, sailing advisors that you can probably find around the world for a long-distance cruising sailing wow okay so what were you doing on the the, the boat what I, I i don't i know minimal about sailing but were you just the mast the ropes the <laughs> the bow <laughs> what exactly were you what, what was your job well what, what 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 really happens is to cross the atlantic ocean we crossed from the canary islands uh from grand canaria off the coast of africa 
into the West Indies, into Antigua in the Caribbean. Wow. So that crossing would be famous, I would say, trade, uh, trading crossing mm -hmm. took us uh, a little bit over three weeks. And that 40-foot uh, sloop sailboat turns into just a small house with four people in the house and <laughs> close quarters the dynamics. Exactly. But I assume you actually probably the best way to socialize isolate yourself with your family is to get on the sailboat <laughs> just to make sure that talked in every respect. So, but uh, it's many different things that you do, but it, it's, uh, it's really um, a dreamlike state. I would uh, describe it five days into sailing and being on the ocean, the physiology, your sleep pattern, the immersion into nature and the surroundings changes the way you are, I think, and puts you in this Zen state, kind of a trance state, but does not still remove you from everything that you have to do on the boat as your duties or down below as your household in a way. So. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds you you have a lot of hats. You're wearing a lot of hats sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, and it's kind of mirrored like you have a lot of hats right now. I mean, we've seen you on TED Talks or TEDx Talks. We've seen uh, great keynote speakers, uh, healthy neuroscientist background. Uh, you have a, and of course the cannabis, which we'll get into. There's a lot that you're doing, so I can see how that. Uh, Something like that sailing across the Atlantic Ocean really uh, fits your personality. What inspired a deeper look into cannabis and the functionality in the brain chemistry for you? What inspired you to go that route? Yeah, so I think that, uh, thank you for the question. Let's start from the fact that I was always interested in the brain and the function of the brain and the neuroscience. My interest in the brain started from being interested in the neurovascular system and followed by a very general and strong interest in brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. So I was always drawn to trying to understand how the brain cells function. What are some of the mechanisms in the brain cells that are responsible for creating memories for creating emotions what are the mechanisms when there is abnormal or disease states mm -hmm. and also very much interested in how can we control these neurochemical mechanisms especially in the disease states using unique and novel therapeutic approaches so i would say that I have encountered cannabis as many of us do as a as a young man, uh, age of nineteen, on a summer vacation in Norway, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, back in college in the United States as well, where um, there's no hiding that it was in the nineties, but even then, cannabis was quite prevalent for recreational purposes. Right. I've always had, a, a, as I said, an interest uh, in the neurochemistry and neuroscience and the biology. Even at that age, I was very interested in neuroanatomy and the neuroscience, but I also had an open mind. And I tried cannabis when I was young, and I even had some explorations when I was younger with 
psychedelics and this interest in the science and the brain chemistry in the systems of the brain, how the systems of the brain and the neurotransmitters, the chemicals in the brain essentially activate these systems and how from these physiological measurable things like electrical and chemical changes, we come up with things that are very hard to to measure, very hard to ascribe weights and numbers and measures to such as feelings such as art, poetry, music, improvisation. Uh, and uh, this, the open-mindedness and the interest in the brain obviously drew me to trying to understand more about cannabis, initially from recreational perspectives. Later on, from the perspective of definitely the medical perspective. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, this is, I think, maybe my introduction for, for some introduction in cannabis is from a medical perspective because they have a medical condition. For me, the introduction was from circumstances, the environment that I was in, but also my inherent interest in the way the brain functions. So trying to understand how do these cannabinoids affect, mm-hmm. how does it affect the body? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, The endocannabinoid system is a lot of people say that's almost the foundation of medical cannabis research and study. But I want to know, we've dived into the ECS before, but should the endocannabinoid system be a pausing point in which we should focus all attention and even research? Let's maybe start with a very interesting idea and concept that is circulating through my head and the recent years as this concept of co-evolution of the endocannabinoid system and cannabinoids and cannabis. Mm-hmm. Let's start by asking this question, did we find cannabis because it fit our endocannabinoid system? Mm-hmm. Or did something happen in this prehistorical nature? There is an indication that cannabinoids and cannabis, for example, where the cause of a viral infection because viruses infected cannabis and interjected its essentially its genes into the code. That's what viruses do to replicate. Mm -hmm. They take over the host. Cannabis response was to produce cannabinoids. So now how did this endocannabinoid system form? Is it because cannabis was already there and was surrounding us and it became an integral part of our diets and integral part of our lifestyle and uh, textiles and things like that or, or, or were we potentially maybe infected with something that turned on the genes that produce endocannabinoids hmm. Interesting. So which came first the chicken or the egg kind of it could, it could evolved essentially because of something that happened in the nature. I have no proof of that, but this is a theory that I'm trying to connect some dots and circulating through my head. And let's say we have selected each other since the formation of cannabis, cannabinoids, and then the cannabinoid system, the humans and the cannabis, we really selected each other via this natural co-selection. Why, right? We didn't select that many plants around us to the extent that we selected hemp and cannabis and the multiple uses of that plant. Mm -hmm. Strawberries you just eat, you know, you don't make uh, 
Uh, you don't make walls out of strawberry high on strawberries. You don't <laughs> really use it as a as a as a potent medicine other than just food. Although all food is medicine. Yeah. So how did this how did this all start? And now we do know that there is a endocannabinoid system, mm-hmm. and we do know that this is a new discovery from the 1990s. Yeah. It is a very important system that is responsible for many homeostatic and regulatory balancing functions in the body and the brain. It is a system that is very intricately interconnected with other body systems such as neuroendocrine system or the stress system if you may the inflammatory system the serotonergic system or the happiness and appetite system in the body it's interconnected with the pain system now this question that is again uh, quite prevalent in this idea uh, in general society is that they really don't understand and know much about the endocannabinoid system. It's not being taught in medical schools. It's not being taught in undergraduate schools, and it is grossly understudied. Mm-hmm. Now the funding for these studies has just begun. Now at the same time, if I look in the cannabis community and medical cannabis and cannabis uh, lovers community, there is this idea that endocannabinoid system is end-all, be-all. It's the main switchboard that controls everything. And so if you don't have endocannabinoid system, that's it. Everything falls apart. Well, I think you could probably extend that to neuroendocrine system. You could probably extend that to several other systems in the body. And I think that the the... Correct approach is endocannabinoid system is very important. It's a major and a very important system in the body, but it potentially is not the main and not the switchboard of all the other systems in the body. It interacts with other very important systems in the body and controlling the psychology and physiology. Right. And like many systems, endocannabinoid system is sort of a negative feedback system. So what, by that, what I mean is like a thermostat. When the temperature goes up, the air conditioning kicks in if it's if it's hot outside. So the endocannabinoid system gets activated if there's more stress or trauma. And the endocannabinoid system produces more endocannabinoids, and that starts protecting your brain and protecting your body against the stress. So it does play a very important function, but you know we cannot just all of a sudden focus in on one system, but we do have to bring it to light. We do have to start teaching it, starting from the undergraduate level. I had the privilege of teaching the first graduate um, school course at the University of Houston and then the cannabinoid system and, and inflammation and cancer as a biology seminar to graduate students, and that was fascinating. They walked in with just knowing very little, thinking about cannabis, THC, getting high, there's no medical value, and walking out with understanding that there's a very complex system, that that endocannabinoid system, the molecules and the receptors change in a disease state. It varies. It changes differently, different types of cancer cells. And they were really, I think... uh, thinking differently just uh, after one semester about what role the system plays and how it could be explored for further therapeutic benefits. (laughs) 
When talking about CBD products, there's only a few types in a saturated market, like isolated, broad, and full spectrum. And there's limitless options to choose from. It's hard to know where to begin. The HempJar.com solves this with hemp paste. Hemp paste retains all the phytocannabinoids and preserves terpenes, flavonoids, and canaflavins by not extracting, but by using the whole flower and MCT oil. Super simple and effective. Yeah, this review from Kevin, he says, I love hemp paste. They use the whole plant instead of extracting only a part of the good ingredients. Their way of processing gives me all the great ingredients in the hemp plant. When I take it, I feel much more at ease and balanced after. It tastes great, and if you want to really have a health indulge fest, go to the chocolate bar with hemp paste added in. Millie says, love this product over oils. We've tried quite a few, and both me and my husband feel this is absorbed better and we like that it is the whole plant. The processing of the plant leaves a much smaller carbon footprint, which is so important as well. Husband uses it for arthritis in knees and me for occasional anxiety and insomnia. Works well for all of it. Hemp Paste from HempJar.com delivers relief and delivers it right to your front door. Give it a try with 10% off any order with code CANNABINERDS10 only at TheHempJar.com. Cannabinoids. In your research, are specific strains or more specifically the makeup of the plant better at treating certain ailments? Absolutely. <laughs> and we do not have to go far. So let's, let's again, let's maybe dispel a little bit of a myth. Yes. There's one myth that, yeah. hey, you know, if you take the forbidden Skittles, that's going <laughs> to help you from from multiple sclerosis. And if you take uh, Horus or if you take uh, grape diamonds, that's going to help you from anxiety. So this this is a myth. We haven't been able, we don't have enough research to say that different strains affect different conditions. And that's, I'll tell you why, because it all depends what is in the final product. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, the name of the strain is one thing, but that seed, let's say for diamond, uh, grape diamonds that have been developed by one geneticist and grown in one condition. And even if it is what is called stable genetics, so the seed kind of reproduces the same plant and the same composition of molecules in the plant, then now if that seed is grown in different conditions by a different grower, or even in the same conditions, it may give you a different output. This output we refer as chemovar or chemotype of the plant. The chemotype is the collection or the entourage of the molecules that you find in the plant. Those molecules is the psychotropic THC or tetrahydrocannabinol, CBD is another one, cannabidiol, CBG, cannabigerol is a third one. A lot of many different other cannabinoids. There's also the aromatic terpenes. That's what gives smell to cannabis. So our noses and our olfactory systems don't have the ability to actually smell cannabinoids. So when we smell cannabis, we only smell terpenes. Mm -hmm. And different cannabis strains and, and even the same seed with slight variations in growth conditions will give a slightly different output for that chemovar, for that strain, for that genetic. So it will have a slightly different composition of terpene. 
I'm really glad you're talking about terpenes. I'm just curious, how important are these terpenes in medical value and the efficacy of cannabis in specifically in your area study? They are very important. And I'll maybe, maybe just roll back a little bit to tell you what I meant by different strains and what, that we don't have to go far is that, look, it's very simple. There are strains that are dominated by THC, there are strains that are dominated by CBD, and there are strains that are dominated by CBG. And these molecules have very different effects. So for somebody to tell that there is no difference between the strains, they're wrong. Because there's a difference between the main cannabinoids that are being outputted by these strains. For example, there's a strain of hemp that produces all CBG. There's zero THC in there and barely any CBD detected. Wow. And it's all CBG. Wow. So you cannot say that, well, wait a second, we know that CBG, although not much is known in the clinical setting about CBG, it has different properties from THC. It's not psychotropic like THC is. So you obviously know it has different effect. These different strains would have different effect, and not just psychotropic effect physiological effect. Now, if you add on to this equation terpenes, then we also know that terpenes are not just smell, and for two reasons. Uh, first of all, terpenes um, are something that affects our lives and affect the way we live. We already have an individual entourage of terpenes that surround us, and it's because we like smelling certain things, when we smell and we inhale aromas and we inhale terpenes, it actually affects our olfactory centers in the brain. Those olfactory centers actually start activating neurons. So now there's a physiological response to aroma. That physiological response could be a memory that gets evoked. It's a very pleasant memory. For example, you just smelled cookies and they smelled exact, exactly like your grandmother's cookies. And all of a sudden, this perception in your brain brings memories of your grandmother, brings some pleasant memories. Also, it could be negative associations with smells. So we really, what we're going through is that terpenes are not just for smells that affect the physiology. In addition to that, terpenes have no clinical functions. So, for example, a very prevalent terpene in cannabinoids is beta-caryophyllin. Beta-caryophyllin is the cannabinoid CB2 receptor agonist. So it binds to cannabinoid receptors. So this is, again, going back to the entourage of molecules. So if you had a plant that had THC, which binds to CB1 cannabinoid receptors, and you had beta-caryophyllin, which binds to CB2 receptors, now you have a plant that would activate both main receptors and endocannabinoid system. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that terpene, beta-caryophyllin, then you don't have another molecule potentially that's activating CB2 receptors. It's not to say that THC doesn't bind to CB2 receptors, but beta-caryophyllin does so in a more specific. So here, here's again, this whole concept is that terpenes have their own physiological function. Some of them have been shown to have anti-anxiety properties. Others have been shown to have anti-inflammatory, even anti-carcinogenic properties. So we need to start taking into account and what is the final output in the plant? What is the composition of cannabinoids and terpene? And I think this decade, this uh, year, 2020, and this decade is really the start of the consumers getting educated and starting to pay attention to the labels. 
and understanding what is the percentage of THC? What is the CBG? What is this limonene? Why does it smell like gasoline? And, and, and understanding what's in the flower and what's in the product, whether it's edible or vape or another sort of medical or recreational cannabis product or even hemp product because it can be CBD and CBG now. It can be CBD and other cannabinoids, cannabichromin, for example, CBC. And another thing, the last thought, maybe I'm taking too much time on this, but last thought on the entourage effect of these combination of molecules is the fact that the entourage that you want is an effective entourage that works for you to treat a certain condition, but you have to realize that not all of the molecules will necessarily support each other's function between these molecules. And sometimes this antagonism can prevent from having an effective entourage. And sometimes this antagonism just tunes the effective entourage. For example, THC is an agonist for CB1 receptor. If you may think it activates CB1 receptor, so it opens the door. CBD is a negative allosteric modulator, which means it can just regulate the maybe amount the door is open or the length the door is open, but it cannot by itself open the the door, but THC can. And so again, this interaction of molecules is very complex. Understanding it, we're, we're getting there. We're slowly getting there. I'm optimistic about the scientific community, medical community starting to accept these concepts as well as the consumers getting really educated about what they're consuming and keeping track of how it affects them. I love hearing about this stuff. I could listen to this part all day. <laughs> but as far as for me going into my medicinal shops, I mean, they aren't labeled as far as, you know, as intricately as I hope one day they are as far as the, yes, the chemo of our content and everything. I, But in the meantime, you know, I've had a few places have said, you know, use your nose, smell it, see if you like it. You know, if that smell is attractive to you, do you think that can help, you know, guide me to to the right product for my body or my makeup? Does that make sense? It does, because you may already naturally be attracted to certain smells. Now, the interesting thing about cannabis that we kind of take for granted is what we like, what we smell is not necessarily the same as when you consume it. And the effect uh, through the olfactory system might be different than from ingesting it into the bloodstream, into the lungs systematically, or through an edible, for example. Right, you right? can't smell that. <laughs> or, or like taking a shot of perfume, you know, it smells good, but you definitely yeah. don't want to <laughs> ingest it. Right, and it, it, it may do something different to you, right? If you if you ingest it, it may upset your uh, digestive system even, right? So, you, so, so yeah, so, so we don't know a lot about this. This is a new error for terpenes because terpenes are everywhere. It's not like, oh, we just discovered terpenes. And in flowers, the bacteria produces terpenes. You know, we go to bathroom and produce a lot of terpenes. <laughs> you know, probiotics, bacteria produce terpenes. And, and we know, for example, the whole industry, uh, the whole perfume industry, have perfected how to sell smells. You know, this is this is this is terpenes also. We have to learn from them. And because of that, we also have to ask ourselves sometimes, am I a lavender? Am I a citrus? 
And it doesn't take that much to actually explore your sort of a surrounding entourage, right? Look at, well, if you're female, what is the shampoo you're using? Conditioner, cream, face cream, serum? And that will pretty much tell you, you know, I like these floral things. You look at somebody else's or maybe a male, the household, you'll see there's minty things, there's maybe spicy things, and, and that, that really defines us. And some of us may like citrus fruit better, and others may like grape. And this is a part of that exploration that if you're attracted to it, maybe that's your body telling you that that's something you're going to like. But with cannabis, we have to be cautious because we, um, it's, a, it's, I think it's, we, we don't necessarily know if it's the same effect physiologically. That's what I'm trying to say. And for the first time, we're consuming quite large amounts of terpenes. Right. And, and what I mean by consuming, inhaling. Right. We eat fruit that are full of terpenes, like citrus fruit is full of limonene that you'll find in cannabis. You eat fruit that goes into your digestive system. That gets digestive. That's like more like an edible. But yeah. in this case, we have cannabis flower in all of the legal states and countries and medical use. And recreational and flower, if you look in some flower tests and if you add up all of the terpenes, they can add up to 2-3% of the total weight of flower. I have seen it add up to over 5% of the total weight of flower. Wow. No, as you know, inhaling it systematically into the bloodstream without passing through the digestion. This is really the first time I think that humans are inhaling natural terpenes uh, because apart from cannabis, I think it was a, before that it was a big culture of, of tobacco and I don't think tobacco has the same sort of a natural expression of the variety of terpenes of cannabis and different cannabis strains do. Well, you don't smell tobacco fields from yeah. miles away. <laughs> No, I think that's interesting. It's like a, a new a new area of research because you're right. We haven't consumed this many terpenes and uh, we don't know what it's doing. And we're just finding out in the fields of study what it actually is doing. I just want to know some of the new research that you're doing that you're involved with, with cannabis being a, a really high anti-inflammatory. And with that, with the current state of things going on, um, you recently put out an article with uh, anti-inflammatory prescription having a possible negative effect with uh, the virus, the, the coronavirus, COVID-19. Well, let, let me comment on that first, and then I'll comment on some of the research uh, current projects that are circulating um, that I'm working on. Um, so the COVID-19 comment is related to the fact that, yes, CBD, especially, and THC has anti-inflammatory properties. And we know that it can enhance activity of some of the anti-inflammatory drugs. And we know that CBD and THC also gets metabolized through some of the same cytochrome pathways through some of the same metabolic pathways in the body that do some of these anti-inflammatory and antiviral drugs. Mm -hmm. The whole concept with inflammation is, as I explained is a, in, in, in that post, is a double-edged sword. Inflammation is a body's response to an infection. 
And the virus, COVID-19, likes to live in the cold parts of the body, such as nose and sinuses. Now, inflammation and rising temperature actually kills the virus. So inflammation and immune response reacting to the foreign invader and producing our body's natural antibodies against it, uh, two responses that will combat COVID. Uh, medical community in Europe, uh, through observations, uh, European Medical Association, followed by World Health Organization and some of the American uh, health professional organizations have commented that there might be um, a reason not to uh, use uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as ibuprofen or brand name Advil as the first line of defense to combat the, the virus, to bring down the fever, essentially. So they're recommending to use acetaminophen or aspirin to bring down the fever. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't have as much um, interactions with these other uh, uh, anti-inflammatory drugs, and it's also allowing for the inflammation to take its natural course and killing the virus. Um, now, when I have talked to general practitioners, medical doctors, I'm a PhD, but when I talk to medical doctors and I gathered their general assessment, everybody is learning about this virus. So we're learning through new articles, through new commentaries, through new releases from professional organizations of how to most effectively, what are the most effective treatments for this virus. And the general practitioners take at the moment as well CBD is anti-inflammatory. And people are now thinking that they're going to take CBD and it's going to boost their immune systems. And CBD is a not, not a known immune system booster. It's not as well known to boost the immune system as vitamin C, as vitamin B12, as biotin, mm -hmm. as, as, as so many other things that are known true immune system boosters. So when people were increasing concentrations taking CBD, it's going to boost my immune system. This is the wrong approach, or it's going to reduce my inflammation. The approach should be CBD. If you're taking CBD or if you're consuming cannabis or THC, leave it at the same level. Maybe actually be a little bit more conservative because it's going to be harder for you to get the medicine potentially. The stores might be closed nearby you, and the uh, online shopping might be reducing, and you might be running out of money in a couple of weeks or so. So not necessary to do that. The best effect I think of the of cannabis and especially CBD is just for calmness. It's just keeping calm. CBD does have and promote anxiolytic effect and uh, anti-anxiolytic effect, anti-anxiety, and also uh, known to promote better sleep. So just on the, on, the, on the surface of the medical problems. So the idea is now let's wait and see. Uh, people loading up on CBD and thinking that they're going to boost the immune system is a wrong approach. Um, and the idea that CBD can harm you or make the viral infection worse, that is also unknown. So let's, let's maintain status quo and uh, listen to general practitioners and, and try to derive that 
it's not necessarily going to make viral infection worse, but we don't know if it's going to make it better. And it, loading on it is going to help us. We don't know. However, to be sensible, a general recommendation is, is the cannabis community and people that are inhaling cannabis to really be conscientious. Taking CBD, I think it's it's fantastic. And when you're going to the store and there is no toilet paper, don't stress out. You can go home, take a little bit of CBD and relax because stress is going to make things worse. Right. You need to have good sleep and all <laughs> yeah. that just to be healthy in general yeah, absolutely. and combat things. So. But yeah, the double-edged sword thing, I totally agree with the anti-inflammatory. I mean, I think you hit the nail right on the head there. Thanks. So the current projects. Oh, yeah. Let me comment on, on some of the things that I'm, yeah. I'm working on, worked on, continue working on. Uh, from basic science perspective, uh, I have worked on acidic cannabinoids. And acidic cannabinoids, this is a very interesting thing about cannabis. Cannabis actually does not produce THC. The marijuana does not produce THC. 95% of cannabinoids, such as THC, such as CBD, such as CBG, in the plant, over 95% of that is in the acidic form. So for THC, it would be THCA, THC acid. For CBD, is kind of gerolic acid, CBG, and the uh, CBD, kind of the dialic acid. So CBDA, CBGA, THCA, are all acidic cannabinoids. And the plant itself then doesn't really have THC. The plant itself should have never been on Schedule 1. Mm -hmm. The plant itself is non-psychotropic. THC is, but there's barely any THC in cannabis plant. And even if you look at the test results for the flower, you always see that it says THCA. And you're wondering, well, how come there's no THC in that flower? It's all THCA. THC none detected, THCA 24%. What is this? Well, there is no THC in the, in the flower. There's no THC in the cannabis plant. It's acidic cannabinoids, and THCA is non-psychotropic. And in my laboratory at the University of Houston, we've done research with acidic cannabinoids, combination of acidic cannabinoids and terpenes. And we see that acidic cannabinoids, such as CBDA and THCA, could be as effective in controlling some of the abnormal neuronal activity. And this was done in, in the DISH preliminary studies. Uh, but they're very promising because all of the cold cannabis, uh, cannabis flower extractions, uh, solventless and cold extractions will preserve these acidic cannabinoids. And the uh, emergent literature and clinical studies are showing these acidic cannabinoids could be just as potent, if not more, controlling things like uh, vomiting, nausea, anxiety, and inflammation. And this is a great solution for folks that don't necessarily enjoy the high effect of THC to be consuming THCA instead. So acidic cannabinoids is still a topic that's understudied. It's a topic that I'm very much interested in. I've done research in my laboratory. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a topic that I think will be emergent as in this market we're going to be Probably consuming more and more of uh, juiced cannabis too. And cold juicing, as we know, mm -hmm. in the community is probably the best way to capture the full 
entourage of all of the molecules in the plant or vegetable, the same will be with cannabis flower too, uh, to capture those acidic cannabinoids. I, I could go for a cannabis smoothie right now, actually, now that you're My talking about it. Juiced. Juiced. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the same thing. Yeah. Juiced smoothie. No. <laughs> yeah. So the, on, on product side, I'm always working on formulations and, and using some really interesting combinations and looking to see how to enhance formulas with carriers, with oils, with technologies that will make the cannabinoids more penetrable into the skin or more effective when they're consumed, uh, combinations of terpenes. So always working on formulations and product development. And another thing that I'm working on and would like to kind of bring the community together is the universal labeling system for cannabis products. And I was uh, going to speak about this at a couple of conferences this spring. Of course, they're now delayed to, to the end of summer and fall. But this is something that we, we all very much need, is we need universal labeling systems so that consumers can recognize the product can recognize the basics of the strength and that they would know how much approximately THCCBD and some of the dominant terpenes are in there. And I think that the sooner we find a system that's unified, that is not produced by one party or another party. Uh, so, for example, Leafly have produced a labeling system with, with uh, diamonds and circles and colors and uh, terpenes, two terpenes produce the terpene wheel system. And some companies are trying to combine these systems together and dispensers are trying to find their own ways of labeling it. And I think the sooner we come up with a simple, universal labeling system for flower and products, the better we're going to serve the consumers and the safer uh, experiences they will have with the products. The DEA just actually unveiled uh, new rules to finally allow more marijuana growers for research. And I think that that's a good first step. I mean, we had the USDA uh, have their interim rules finalized. And now we have the DEA wanting more research. Uh, we just need to get the FDA on board as far as labeling and, and regulation like that. So I'm totally totally on board <laughs> you're right yeah, but, but i mean i think it's even beyond that i think it's it's it has to be a combination of science and regulatory labeling uh, framework together with a consumer-friendly imagery framework okay you know for example you, when you take your pale ale do you know what to look for on pale ale i do i look for two things the ibu which is i believe stands for international bitterness units and I yep. look for the percentage of alcohol. And those are the two <laughs> things I need to know. And then, yeah, if I want to get a little bit more fancy, I'm going to look to see what we, if it was the Saison hops or some other hop or some other thing that was used to, to produce this pale ale or some other ale, right? But those are the two yeah. things. Is it bitter and is it really strong in alcohol level? And then I'll, I'll decide on the flavor. We need to reduce a lot of what we're doing with colors and circles and fancy things into some, something very simple. I think it does have to have a, a color component, but it has to be known whether it's strong and and and, and maybe what, it, what genetics it is, what it is, or what terpenes it has. Do you think we're picking it apart too much as scientists and, and researchers and enthusiasts like ourselves? Are we picking that up, picking the plant apart too much and really doing it at a microscopic level 
Is that almost hindering the simplicity that we would need for labeling or is it helping? The two have to happen concurrently. The really complex things and detailed things that we discover about the plant scientifically have to get deduced to a few recognizable indicators or variables by which the consumers are going to be easier, uh, make it easier for consumers to, to pick their products and most effective for them. I think it's it's a combination of of of, of both things, but uh, it's time to 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 come up with some sort of a universal system that's across, I think, the brands across the companies across the continents to get a simplicity of just a universal saying of this is what's in the plant, this is the medicine that you're taking, and I like your correlation to the beer too because I look for the IBUs and uh, more importantly the alcohol content, but the IBUs <laughs> is a close second, but <laughs> I think that's a fantastic correlation. Just to wrap everything up, you know, we talked about neuroscience, what you got into it, uh, the ECS going into cannabinoids and terpenes, and even the current crisis that's going on now and how that correlates. In your knowledge and wisdom, give us and all the cannabinoids out there your wisdom when individuals are looking into cannabis and how it could potentially help them. Kind of like your your mantra of cannabis. I will actually copy a little bit of my dear friend here. Uh, Dr. Jaime Claudio Villanil, who is a fantastic general practitioner in Puerto Rico. You should have him on your podcast. I'll be happy to connect you with him. He yeah. practices cannabis, and he's just a general man of a gentleman of culture and medicine, I would say, and music. So I, I will copy him here because, uh, and also um, myself as a male, Cannabis approach it as a girl, a woman, or a man, whatever your choice is. Mm -hmm. It's a woman, for me, for example, I'll describe a woman that's beautiful, that's wearing a beautiful dress, and you would uh, like to have a date with her. And and how do you how do you approach? So you first look, you smell. We know that smells are potent in dating, and this is a date. So try then to, to select that woman, invite her for a dance. You essentially are trying a date, and then you monitor and record how well your dating process is going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you look at it as, as, as a complex interaction. And at every age and every stage, I think, of life, this interaction is going to come differently. You know, for some people, it's a one-night stand and they don't care. <laughs> and, and they may not be too cheap. And there are also consumers, actually, that consume cannabis for many years, and they don't really care about strains or sativa or indica or the hybrid. They just like and enjoy it the way it is. It helps them with sleep, and that's it. They just like that. So it's simple. But for people that are um, into understanding cannabis, really looking into exploring it is understanding this this understanding this flower this beautiful flower different parts of it understanding a little bit about the anatomy a little bit about the cannabinoids it's not that much it's like taking a, a lesson on on wine or beer and different kinds of beers you'll forget that lesson and you may have to take it over again but this should be an approach careful approach uh to have a really good experience it's a safe uh Cannabis is safe and it's really 
rated even safer physiologically than than coffee, uh, than caffeine, particularly. So, but we all want to have the best, the most pleasant, the most effective therapeutically experience with cannabis, and 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 therefore you can try to select your best and your first date may not turn out to be the person you end up marrying. You know, it's it kind of reminds me, your, your correlation to a woman, you don't want to go to third base on the first or go do a home run on the first date. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You want to... Uh, <laughs> I've seen a lot of people... Um, get negatively impacted by cannabis by having way too much the first time or way too much in a short amount of time and and they never want to try it again yeah i love that and i'm going to use that the problem happens mostly with edibles and first-time users you know just just be cautious with that it is psychotropic uh but if you're an experienced user then 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 try to explore that uh that flower in more detail to understand uh, more about it out of curiosity because it's a part of your life. Where can people find you or is there any way that people could connect and help with the research that you're doing? Or if they have a question, are you available to uh, give a little shout out on uh, Twitter or LinkedIn? Or I think that people could, uh, if they wanted to get a little bit more information about uh, some of the topics that I discussed, they could look at my TEDx talk. It's called There's Something You Should Know About Cannabis and Epilepsy. It's from five years ago. Um it's a very interesting talk that uh, incorporates also music in, into the concepts uh, that I'm describing. A very good talk to watch would be Cannabis Deconstructed. That would be from ICBC or International Cannabis Business Conference in Berlin from 2018. Uh, if people wanted to learn more about the entourage effect and different molecules of cannabis and different components of the endocannabinoid system. And I think if people wanted to contact me uh, personally, the best way would be through uh, LinkedIn, so they okay. can look up uh, uh, Jokuba Zuburkus, J-O-K-U-B-A-S, the last name Z-I-B-U-R-K-U-S. If they wanted to follow me on Instagram, it's not much there and as far as uh, medical cannabis knowledge goes. So <laughs> I leave that really for, for just personal uses. Uh, but I'm happy to con- connect and contact via LinkedIn um, if anybody had burning questions or ideas. Yeah, we'll put we'll put the links to all of that in the show notes as well. So yeah, so go check those out if you're listening right now. Swipe, look into those uh, those videos. I actually saw the one, the TEDx talk, and it was very fascinating. It was good. I, I really enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, I, I heard that you're uh, 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 an accomplished harmonica player too. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's becoming increasingly now. I'm locked up, so it gives me more time. Yeah, I, I, I love <laughs> 
harmonica, blues harmonica, blues harp, mild harp. Um, yeah. It's something that uh, I self-taught myself. My father brought me my first harp when I was 14 from Italy. Uh, a blues harp, that harp, and a couple of cassettes, uh, tapes uh, with blues. And I uh, just started listening and playing along. And it became uh, part of my life and a, and a, and a hobby. So during That's graduate awesome. school, yeah, yeah, it's uh, a lot of it was uh, during graduate school years. Uh, created a band in New Orleans that was called Yaya Soul. <laughs> we played in New Orleans Jazz Fest in 2001. Wow! So uh, we we managed to take it to somewhat uh, recognizable and some professional level with CD recordings and performances and. That's sort of what continued. Now I just, uh, I'm happy if I get to do a blues jam here at the next <laughs> If we ever meet up, I would I would bring my harmonica. I have harmonicas too. We go uh, get excellent. some uh, pale ales. We'll get some some high IBU pale ales, <laughs> and we'll just we'll just play and jam out. <laughs> Absolutely, sounds terrific. We'll nerd out. <laughs> yes, nerd out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Yakbas, Yakubas Zaburkas. Very sorry, I'm very bad at pronouncing names and basically almost anything. But thank you so much for being on. Uh, I My mind is just blown. Uh, for all the rest of you, you've been listening to Cannabinerds, exploring the world of cannabis. And I think we got a big chunk of that world today with the doctor. If you enjoy what you're listening to on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, give us a few stars, write a review, and uh, tell your friends. That helps us out a lot. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. If you want to get in touch with us, you can go to com. But anyway, I'm David, reminding you to stay safe, wash your hands, and take care of each other. Thank you for listening. So, as you all know, we are cannabinoids, and that means we absolutely love bringing the cannabis industry to your ears and all of the details that come with that. But we also love your partnership and support. A lot of work goes into creating each episode and keeping it free for everybody. You can support Cannabinerds continuing to do that by becoming a Patreon. Becoming a Patreon for Cannabinerds comes with several perks like ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, and even some sweet Cannabinerds t-shirts and hats. To become a Patreon, head over to CannabinerdsPodcast.com. Click on the Patreon button. It's that easy. It's been amazing being a part of Cannabinerds, so we invite you to join us so you can be a Cannabinerd too.